Father, give us wisdom as we explore a sensitive subject. Help us, Lord, to know what our response should be. And Father, as your people have prayed through generations, we pray, Holy Spirit, come. Well, forgive us for starting with just that barrage of information. Um, and if you're visiting today, I realise that's even more, um, you know, just, just, just out there. We are talking mainly to our church family today, um, those who are, are, are on this journey of faith with us day by day. Um, and there's always a challenge when we talk about finances, isn't there? Um, it's not something we like to do. The English are very, particularly the British, are, we're, we're kind of like, we don't, you know, we don't talk about that. Um, and so, um, but it was important this morning for us to start this series of stewardship with this State of the Nation. This is something that we'll do again um, in and around the annual general meeting next month. But it, 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 was, it was ridiculous for us to talk about stewardship and not say to you, this is the situation. Um, so, uh, so thank you for bearing with us as we've done that. And I'm saying Graham's just going to pull a few things together at the end as well. Um, uh, just a reminder, because I know my short-term memory is getting much, much worse as the years go by. Our main reading, our gospel reading this morning, was the feeding of the 5,000 from Mark's gospel. Um, and we'll be looking at that this morning as we journey through. Um, now, a week ago last Friday... Um, on the very last day of those roadworks out there, and goodness me, how long have we had those? They were out there for about uh, nine, ten weeks this year, and we had them for about 18 weeks last year. And on the very, very last day, Friday, not just gone, the week before, I, uh, I turned out of Fair Oak uh, Road there on the corner outside Cooties, and the traffic lights at that point had moved to right on the corner. So as I turned out, they weren't further up as they'd been earlier in the day. They were right there. So I stopped... And the guy behind me didn't. Um, and bless him, it was just, you know, accidents happen. It's uh, uh, one of those things. Legally, he was at fault because that's what happens when you drive into the back of someone. It was just an accident, you know. Um, there was no, no point in getting upset. This is why we have insurance. So I phoned my insurance. And while I was speaking to my insurance, they did the thing that insurers are meant to do, have you got any injuries? Now, two things I said to them. I said, you know what, I've had a headache all day since long before this, um, and I've just had a car accident, so I'm feeling quite stressed about things. So, and they said, yes, but have you any injuries? And I said, no, I don't think I have, but I will tell you now that there is a slight pain in the bottom of my neck here where, and I think it's probably because I already felt fairly manky and had a headache and... Um, I've just had a car accident, so I'm feeling stressed. My insurers, bless them, put me straight through to his personal injury lawyer. Um, who, in my... And, and, and because I was, uh, I was struggling a little bit, I, you know, I'd just had a car accident, a very minor one, but all the less, you know, it sends you adrenaline running. It was only as I hung up, I realised that's what they had done. I'd sort of... I'd, I'd, in my head, somewhere, I thought I was still talking about the insurers. Um, and they started a personal injury claim in my name for an injury I don't have. So I spent the whole of last weekend worrying about it because I couldn't get back hold of them on Friday. And finally, on Monday morning, was able to phone them and say, not on your life, thank you very much. Since then, I've had three separate phone calls from three different personal injury lawyers. So um, I have started to wonder why I'm so concerned about GDPR in the church. So we saw those things at the beginning of that video. Because um, I'm not quite sure how any of these people have got my phone number, my name, the name of the person that hit me, his phone number, his insurer, my insurer, my date of birth. 
How have they all got that if it's a criminal offence to share data? But anyway, never mind. That's a, that's a complete aside. I do apologise. Um, uh, so, but I've had three further phone calls this week of people trying to make sure I get what I deserve. Get the money that you deserve. You deserve this. You've had an accident. No, it's an accident. Accidents happen. Now, sometimes accidents happen because of gross negligence. And I'm absolutely not saying that if you've been a victim of that, that you shouldn't have something that, 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 that helps you get the care you need after an accident like that. But sometimes accidents just happen because they're accidents. And I'm certainly not going to start an ins fraudulent insurance claim just because I've had the misfortune to have someone drive into me. But we live in a world, don't we, where getting your deserves, get what you deserve, it's your right to have this money, is, uh, is kind of the, the, the highlighting, um, the, 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 the kind of the, the go-to phrase. You deserve compensation. You must get it. It's your right. And that's a challenge to me. Just on the side, I've discovered a great way of getting rid of them. I, 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 I made, the first couple of times I made some comments about GDPR and I sort of said, you know, I'm, you know even if I was interested, you, I'm doing nothing without it going through my insurer. Um, now I've discovered that the best way to get rid of a phone is to say, do you know what? I'm a minister in the Church of England. Can I tell you about Jesus? <laughs> I've never had the phones hung up so quickly. It's quite amazing. Sadly, yes. <laughs> And GDPR doesn't apply. No. <laughs> we come to this reading in a world that is so, so different from that. You know, as we come to the reading of the 5,000, there are a number of things, as feeding of the 5,000, there are a number of things that strike me. The first is that Jesus and his disciples were tired. Right at the beginning of the reading that we heard today, Jesus, the disciples have come back to Jesus. They've been ministering in his name. And they say, and Jesus says, he sees they're exhausted. And he says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. The Greek word he uses here is eremos. It means solitary or desolate place. We're going to a solitary or desolate place. Come with me to a solitary and desolate place. And I think there's a deliberate use of this word because it's used again in verses 32 and 35. Jesus says, Jesus says to them, come with me to the quiet place. It's that same word, solitary, desolate place. What we're about to witness mirrors that time the Israelites were also taken to a solitary, desolate place for 40 years and God's provision made, uh, was made for them. Mark, in his gospel, is setting us up. They're setting us up to hear this great story of God's provision in the 5,000, the feeding of the 5,000, by reminding us of the feeding of God's people, the rich provision of God's people in the desolate place, in their 40 years in the wilderness, in the Exodus. Because what happens next is really quite stark. Jesus has said, come with me to this quiet place and get some rest. And the people see them get on a boat. And they get on the boat and they know exactly where they're going. There's only one place they can be going from here. So they run round, um, round the landway and they get there before Jesus and the disciples do. And they get there and so the disciples are waiting for, looking forward to this moment of rest. They're going to spend some time with Jesus, which is, I can only imagine the refreshing that must have been to sit in Christ's presence in that way. And they get there, they get to the desolate and solitary place and it is no longer solitary. 
It might be desolate, but it's no longer solitary. They're not going to get a chance to be alone with Jesus. The crowd follows them. They're keen to see more. They want to be part of what Jesus is doing. They've heard him speak. They've seen the miracles. And they want to be part of it. So they rush round and meet him. In my head, and, and I know this is ridiculous, but in my head, this is like Pool Harbour. Because you can, you can get a boat from, from, from Sandbanks in Pool across to Studland. Um, it wouldn't be quicker to go round, but it's, 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 it is also possible to drive all the way round and get there um, to meet whoever it is that's tried to get away from you on the ferry. Um, so and that's, well, that's just in my head. They, they, the, the people, they are so desperate to, hear, to, to be part of what Jesus is doing that they've run around. Verse 33 says, But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Yeah, running isn't something you did in this culture. So these are people who are so excited that they're throwing their social norms out the window and they're legging it round to beat Jesus to the place where he's going. These are people who are spiritually hungry. They're desperate to hear more, to receive more from Jesus and his followers. They've rushed ahead to be there and, they, and, and the twelve, and when they, uh, when they get there, they're already there waiting for them. Jesus landed and saw a large crowd did he get cross? Did he get frustrated? I bet the disciples got a bit knocked. <laughs> Especially Peter. <laughs> yes. No. Verse 34. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Wearily, the thing that happens next is after they've talked for a bit, the disciples have put up with it for a bit, wearily they come to him and they ask him to send the crowds away. And they use the excuse that it's tea time. It's time for us to eat. We were exhausted before we got here. And you've been teaching them many things. But Jesus answered, you give them something to, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, you can almost hear the exasperation in their voice. Well, that would take more than half a year's wages. I think the original translation is 200 denarii, which is about half a year's wages. Um, are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? You know, almost you can hear the accusation in their voice, can't you? This was meant to be our quiet time. This was meant to be our space. And now you're telling us to go and spend virtually all the money we've got in our pouch to go, to go and feed the people we didn't want to be here in the first place. You can sense the disciples' frustration coming through. There's just not enough food here to feed them. We can't afford it. Just send them home. They're not our problem. We didn't ask for them to come. But Jesus acts in compassion. And so we have the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And from verse 38, I'm just going to read that passage. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Clearly, here as well, there were 5,000 men. There were significantly more people because there's no suggestion that the women and children weren't there. 
but the disciples in their first century way only counted the men. So they didn't just feed 5,000, they feed, fed far more than 5,000. This incredible abundance meets the need of the hungry. And it's a beautiful picture of the heart of Christian stewardship. All we have, the wealth, the possessions, everything we have, which God entrusts to us as stewards, comes into our hands like the bread that Jesus breaks. It comes blessed and it comes broken. Stewardship is rooted in creation and Christology. In creation, you know, right back at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 1, God makes us stewards over the earth and all that is in it. The old King James Version caused centuries of error by the church because it said God gave us dominion. And we've taken that to mean that we can do what we want with the world's resources, with everything that God's given us, because we have dominion over it. But it's not what it says. In Hebrew, the word is radar. It's the only word in Hebrew I know. It's the only thing that's stuck in my brain from theological college. The Hebrew word radar doesn't mean dominion. It means steward. It means carer. God gave us stewardship over all creation. God, the creator and owner of all things, entrusts the whole of creation to us. Yes, for our enjoyment and our contentment, but also for our gratitude, for our sacrificial generosity and for our care. We don't have dominion over things. We don't have dominion over the things that he gives us in our daily lives. We are stewards of all that God has given. And in Christology, Paul in 1 Timothy 6 bases his appeal to sacrificial giving on the example of Christ who became poor so that we may, have ri- be, so we may be rich. Christ literally is the bread broken for us. That's what we celebrate around that table later today. Christ is the bread broken for us, the body of Christ, in which we are unified with one another here, with the church universal around the world. And Paul implores the church to be characterised by generosity because we are commanded to share all that we have received from God. It's a call to missional acts. It's a call to spiritual intentionality. It's a call to financial wealth and sharing. Through this wonderful miracle, God, Jesus teaches us about how we are to be stewards of all that God has given us. But that we are also to expect the miraculous. In one of the Gospels, I forget which one, it's a young boy that has the bread and fish. Mark's too busy, he's too much of a hurry to tell us the details of where the bread and fish came from. That's a very Mark thing. In Mark's Gospel, everything comes thick and fast. But I think it's in, maybe it may well be in Matthew. Um, But this is actually one of the few um, accounts that is in absolutely all four Gospels. It's in the three synoptic Gospels and it's in the Gospel of John. Um, But as I say, in in one of them, it does refer to it being a young boy that brings the loaves and the fish. Jesus didn't just share that gift, that creation that was there. He worked a miracle through it. And we are a church that believes in the miraculous. So when we think about stewardship and abundant provision, then we trust in the miracles and trust for miracles as well. But that abundant provision in the desert place, the desolate place, The careful management of scarce resources is what we're thinking about today. 
When times are difficult, and we'll recognise this from our own lives when our budgets get tight, when times are difficult, our natural inclination, like the disciples, is to send the people away, to cut stuff out, to stop doing things. Let's cut our costs. Let's tailor our cloth accordingly. Let's make savings here and there. But Jesus calls us to radical provision. We are still called to be good stewards. We're called to trust in the abundant provision of God, to trust for the miraculous, but also to be stewards, to you to have careful use of what's given, up, give, given us. So it's, 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 it, there's a tension in there between trusting in God's incredible provision for us, it, expecting him and asking him to fill that gap that we've got in our finances as a church, and also being good stewards and saying, well, actually... We've got too much going out. How do, we, how do we act accordingly? And somewhere in there is the tension of how God wants us to respond. But being good stewards and trusting in his provision. As Graham said when he was just giving that sort of state of the nation there, is we've looked and I think have tried to make as many of those, those cut commitments as we can to do things well. We're trying to use less of the building at the Wyvern School for the, um, for the, for the gathering service. Um, we're trying to cover costs in different ways. But actually, what we're seeking God for today is not going to be reached through cutting back our ministry. Because that would be the next step. Not to use that as some sort of Damocles dagger, but just to say that is the next step. That at some point we will have to cut some of our ministries. And we don't want to because that doesn't feel like the right thing to do. It doesn't feel like the godly thing to do. The ministry of the church is called to is not going to raise up workers as a way of fixing this problem. As people become disciple believers in Christ, they will respond financially, in terms of their time, in terms of the things that they give. But actually, as a church, we are called to the poor, we are called to the oppressed, we are called to the broken and wounded. That is not the place from which financial giving is going to come. And nor would I want it to be. We do not want to bring people into the life of the church because we want their money. We want to bring people into the life of the church because their lives will be improved by knowing Christ. We want to bring people into the life of the church because he will heal and bring forgiveness and grace and mercy into their lives. We want to bring people into the life of the church because we want them to share in the great love that we have found in Christ our Lord. Mission is not a finance-raising initiative, and it never will be. It's the greater call. It's the sole purpose of us as a church is to reach out in Christ's love. And in times of financial hardship, we should be redoubling our missional activity, not cutting it out. We should be expecting in God's miraculous provision. The other thing that strikes me from this story of the feeding of the 5,000 is that the people were ready to receive. The crowd had gathered on the hillside, probably never knew they were the beneficiaries of a miraculous act. A few of them might have seen how many bread and fish Jesus had in his hands, but with a crowd that many, many of them wouldn't have been able to see. But they were ready to receive. Jesus was ready to feed them and they were ready to receive. They were receiving his teaching. They were hearing the message of love and grace that he was bringing. And they were also ready to receive 
his ministry for their physical needs. The greater miracle was preached. The bread and the fish, that was great, but the greater miracle was what Jesus preached. Forgiveness for sins, unending grace, the overwhelming love of God for his creation. The stuff that we're called to minister in. This is a story of contrasts. Ministry and, re- re- ministry and retreat. Scarcity and abundance. Hunger and plenty. In lean times, our natural inclination is to fearfully batten down the hatches. To cut down, to stop doing, to limit the power of what God can do in us and through us. But in this account account of God's miraculous provision, we are the people arranged in groups ready ready to receive God's abundance for them. Are we organized for this abundance God has for us? And that's where our next steps come. How do we as a church organise ourselves to be ready for the abundance that God has for us? Is our financial planning, are we open to be, for our personal financial planning to be a blessing, to be used by God? Are our budgets, personal and for the church, not fearful, our giving not guarded, nominal or begrudging? I'm reminded of a story I heard tell of the first Viking converts, and forgive me if, I've, if you've heard this from me before. When the first Vikings came to faith, and they were being baptised in the sea, as you'd expect a good Viking to be baptised, the Viking warriors made a request to the ministries that brought, missionaries that brought Jesus to them. They wanted to be baptised with their swords and their sword arm out of the water. So as they were pushed down in the water, their arm and their sword would, would remain above the water. Because the warriors of the Vikings was so much part of their culture that they couldn't imagine life without it. And if they didn't baptise their sword arms, this bit of them could be Christians. But this bit could still go around the world doing the things that Vikings do. I wonder today... Whether, as Christians, when we're baptised, we want to hold our wallets out of the water. I don't mean this accusationally at all. I'm amongst the biggest sinners in this way. But is, is there subconsciously somewhere, when we're baptised, that we, we want to say to the Lord, yes, you can have my whole life, but I'm not prepared to trust you with my finances. Do we do that as a church? Is that something we're guilty of? When we look at all those things that are going out and we start to think, well, okay, we need to make savings. What are we going to do? Are we holding the church's wallet out of the waters of baptism? Wonderful theologian called Walter Brueggemann said, we must abandon the myth of scarcity and instead celebrate a liturgy of abundance. We must abandon the myth of scarcity and instead celebrate a liturgy of abundance. I love that. When we give, ordinary believers following God's call on our lives to share all he has given us, we acknowledge that all things come from him and of his own do we give back to him. Are we organised for the abundance that God has for us? In those last few verses, 
whereas the feeding of the 5,000 came, Jesus had the people be organised into groups of 50 and 100. It wasn't some magic to make the miracle work, but it was something about breaking down the problem, making sure that, 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 so that each group got fed and then the baskets were passed on. There was an organisation to the miraculous, and I love that. Those of you that have got ordered minds and like things in a certain order, I love the idea that, that Jesus' miracle wasn't just this kind of scattergun approach but actually there was order and organisation within it. Because Christ knows that we are a people that love order. Although if you saw my office, you might disagree. <laughs> so as we reflect on these words of Christ, um, I'm going to hand back to Graham, who is just going to say a few words about how we as a church would like to make that ordered approach to seeking God's incredible, miraculous abundance.